Would you pray with me? Thank you again, Father God, for this time that we can be here. Thank you for Mother's Day. And I pray that as we open your word, you would give us open ears and open hearts to hear from you and you alone. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. I would ask you guys to turn with me to Matthew 6:25, please. As you're doing that, I think, I think most of you know a couple weeks ago I was down in the great country of Texas <laughs> mm. speaking at a women's retreat. And while I was there, that song that we just sang, um, some of my friends sang it. And I'd heard it once or twice um, before, but it really caught my attention this time. So when I got home, I was kind of listening to it on repeat. Um, I think my kids can attest to that, especially Addie. I think she might have it memorized now from listening to it in the car. Um, And while I was kind of honestly frantically searching and praying about what I was supposed to speak on today, um, eventually the Lord politely smacked me upside the head and was like, so you know that song that you've been listening to on repeat? Um, Maybe there's a reason why. So Mark pointed this out, but if you happen to know this, that song that we sang is basically just scripture. Changed a little bit to be a little more lyrical, but basically scripture, and it is straight out of Matthew 6. So if you are at Matthew 6.25, we're going to go ahead and read that. So it says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So I've read this section of Matthew 6 many times. And while it wasn't spoken by Christ with Mother's Day specifically in mind, oddly enough, it's not hard to make an easy application here to raising our children. It struck me that we as moms and dads and parents and caregivers, spiritual moms, spiritual dads, people that care about children, can fall into the mindset of worrying about all the things the Lord has just said not to worry about, especially when it comes to our kids. Jesus is in the midst of his famous Sermon on the Mount here, when we picked up in verse 25, and he began with, therefore. And any good FCCer that's been around here for a while should say, what is the therefore? You guys are so trained, it's great. Well done, PK. To answer that question, we need to back up a bit in the text, and we're going to go to verse 19. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. We could actually go all the way to verse 1, but I'm not going to keep you here all day. So you should say, thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. This is 
great. I love the interchange today. All right, so verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So let me ask you, where are you keeping your treasures? Are they in this place? Is everything you actually care about in the here and now? Because Christ tells us it's temporal. It won't last. Now be careful, God isn't telling everyone to walk around in rags and live in tents and have nothing, right? That's not what he's getting at here. But, If your life's goal is to amass wealth, to garner accolades, to drive nice cars, I don't know, fill in the blank. If these earthly achievements are all that you're after, know that moths and rust will destroy. They won't last. But but like maybe it's not so black and white for you, right? Maybe, I mean, you're not rolling around in your gold coin collection every day at home. Maybe you're not driving 10 different Maseratis on a weekly basis. 10. Maybe you just aren't doing everything to the glory of God. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. All. There's nothing too small that we shouldn't do it for God's glory, right? Right? The most menial task that we can and should do would be for him, should be for him. And there's nothing too big that we should switch gears and decide that we get all the accolades, right? Everything, all, should be for the glory of God. So moms, you can pour into your children. You can be at every event they participate in. You can read them a story every single night. You can be their biggest cheerleader. But if you aren't doing everything to the glory of God, you are storing up treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. You're teaching your children to do the same. What can seem good by earthly standards actually amounts to something that will not last, and something that won't have eternal value. So I'll ask you again, where are you storing your treasures? Because there will your heart be also. There will, you, there will be what you're focused on. There will be what you are living for. Moving on to verse 22, Christ tells us, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Christ says if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. That word good is interesting. It is translated differently in every single Bible translation that I looked at. (laughs) But if we go back to the Greek, the word means singular. Or one of the most interesting translations in the Greek was not folded. And what it's getting at, it means the eye is functioning correctly. It's healthy. It's focused on one thing. So if we were to say the eye is the lamp of the body, if your eyes are not folded, functioning correctly, healthy, and focused on one thing, your whole body will be full of light. But Christ isn't talking about if we have 20-20 vision, right? He's talking about perceiving. 
If you're perceiving this world and those around you as Christ would have you look at it with eyes that are not folded, functioning correctly, healthy and focused on one thing, that one thing being Christ, then your body will be full of light. So let's do some nuts and bolts with this. Let's say you have a friend that's fallen into some sin, some nasty, toxic sin. But because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you perceive them through the love of Christ with a broken heart and think, how can I reach out to them? How can I remind them that Christ and I love them dearly, but their sin is destructive to them and those around them? Your body is full of light, therefore you see them as Christ would have you see them, and you are sharing that light because your body is full of light. The Lord goes on to say, but if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Let's say we have a friend that's fallen into some sin, some nasty, toxic sin, Do we look at them and scoff, whisper behind their back and think to ourselves, I would never do that and write them off. I mean, we wouldn't want, you know, those type of people in our church or around us, right? If so, we we aren't showing the grace that Christ has shown us, the love that Christ has shown us. Our eyes are no longer functioning correctly. They are folded, unhealthy, and certainly not focused on Christ. They are dark. We are no longer perceiving our friend as Christ would have us. We are thinking darkly, we are acting darkly, and our eyes are dark. Listen, either way, it's a cyclical relationship. If our eyes are healthy and we are perceiving healthily, we have light inside and we are sharing light and we are perceiving light, or we are perceiving unhealthily and we have darkness inside. And Christ says, how great is that darkness? How great is that darkness? I don't want to have darkness. You don't want to have darkness. In verse 24, Christ goes on to say, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This verse often gets plucked out of context and is used to talk about the evils of money, but that is not what Christ is getting at. A few verses ago, he was explaining that we can either be storing up treasure here or in heaven, but you can't do both. You can focus on acquiring stuff in the here and now, material things, earthly accolades, money, or you can store up real treasure in heaven. All right, have any of you like had two bosses at work before? Like maybe your immediate boss and then like a higher up boss and they didn't agree on what they wanted from you. I ran into this while I was still working in academia. It's not pretty. And like, how do you handle that, right? Christ tells us that pretty plainly, you you can't serve two masters. Like maybe if you've been in that situation, try and juggle it for a while. But ultimately, you're going to choose one that you really and truly serve. When When it comes to what we're talking about here in Scripture, Christ tells us you can't serve him and the world. And let's be honest... I'm going to guess that a lot of us have tried at some point. We've tried to serve both Christ and the world, to kind of live for Christ, right, but like kind of do our own thing. When this is our mindset, unless we have a major course correction, we will ultimately end up serving ourselves. There are a multitude of scriptures that talk about choosing Christ, dying to self, carrying our cross, having the Lord be the Lord of our lives. This idea is rife throughout scripture. 
because you must choose whom you will serve. And I pray that you're choosing Christ. So let's put this whole section together, starting back in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, with all that in mind, let's get into the text that I want to look at today. But without that background, our verses lose some of their power. They're taken out of context, and we can end up doing Christ's words a bit of a disservice here. Therefore, with all of that in mind, do not worry about your life, on what you will eat or drink, or about your body and what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? This verse makes so much more sense with the idea in the back of our heads about not storing up treasures for ourselves in the here and now. Life is more about the more than about the food we eat, and the body is more important than the clothes that we put on it. We could probably actually have an entire sermon over just that idea. These two things represent some of our very basic human needs, right? But Christ says, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you're going to wear. But he doesn't say don't think about it, right? He uses a very specific word here that he will use in rapid succession in our text today. He says, don't worry. And then he's going to give us some very specific examples and what he means. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And who of you by worry can add a single hour to his life? Look at the birds. They can't farm and prepare like y'all. Or maybe to put it in a more modern context, because I don't think any of us are farming for our livelihood here. Look at the birds. They can't budget. They can't plan. They can't go shopping. They can't prepare like y'all. And yet, are you not much more valuable than a bird? The implied answer is an obvious yes here, right? But notice who feeds them. Notice Christ's wording. Who feeds the birds? It's not God. I mean, it is God, but that's not the word he uses. It's your heavenly Father. There's a familial component here. There's a tenderness. Ideally, our earthly Father takes care of us and provides for us, right? How much more does our heavenly Father take care and provide for us? I think there's a specific word choice here. He goes on to say, Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? So let's talk about worrying. What does worrying accomplish? Actually, what does it accomplish? Nothing, right? And before you feel like I'm harping on you here, these are the words of our Lord, not Sarah. And this is something that I struggle with as well. 
Worry is such a natural human inclination, but this section of scripture gives argument after argument on why worrying is pointless. Does worrying truly ever help a situation? No. But man, do we feel like we don't give a problem or a struggle to do if we don't get in a good worry, right? But it accomplishes nothing. That's actually not completely true. Sorry, I misspoke. When we worry, we take on the weight of a problem ourselves. We add stress to our lives. We waste energy trying to figure out a problem that our Heavenly Father says He's already taken care of, right? We pick up something that wasn't ours to carry in the first place. And if we, w- and if we want to get down to the nitty-gritty of it, we quit trusting our Lord for what He says He's already handled. So it does accomplish something. It's just nothing fruitful. And it certainly doesn't add another hour to our lives. Jesus goes on to say, And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Let's think about Solomon for just a second here. In 2 Chronicles 9, 3 and 4, it says, When the queen of Sheba saw the wisdom of Solomon, as well as the palace he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, the cupbearers in their robes, the burnt offerings he had made at the temple of the Lord, she was over." Whelmed. The Queen of Sheba was amazed when she saw the wisdom, the wealth, the burnt offerings of Solomon. He was a man that had much. He had more money and wealth than he would ever have needed, right? That's probably putting it <laughs> mildly. He had access to the finest materials, the loveliest fabric, the best seamstress money could buy. It is safe to say that Solomon, in all of his splendor, would have been a sight to see, right? And yet we were told that Solomon in all of his splendor was not clothed like one of the lilies of the field. If God takes care to dress the grass of the field that's here today and gone tomorrow, how much more does he care to clothe you and me? We aren't told to wake up in the morning and pray, Dear Lord, please help clothes to appear on my body. He doesn't call us not to use our God-given brains, but he asks us, why are we worrying? He also ends this section with, oh, you of little faith. We need to be able to set aside our worry and have faith that our God is willing and able to do that which he has promised. He goes on to say, in in the case of the worry thing, if it's still lingering, okay, in verse 31, so do not worry. And I gotta stop here for just a second. And I feel like Pastor Kevin stole this from my youth lessons. I'm just saying. Okay. But how many times does Jesus have to say something for it to be true? That's right. Good job, y'all. The youth better have answered that when I asked that. Did you? Asher, you get a point. That will make sense to the youth. He only has to say something once. And yet how many times has he been hammering this idea of do not worry? 
So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Who knows that we need them? Our heavenly father, our dad. And this might be a good time to remind everyone that God, our heavenly father, created us and knows all of our needs, including the fact that we need to eat and drink and have clothes to wear. None of this happens to be a surprise to him. Yeah. We get to verse 33, but. And now I'm going to steal this from Pastor Kevin. But is a small, little, huge, little, big, little word, and it takes this entire idea of what we've been talking about. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, but. But what? But seek. We've talked about worrying being something that we tend to do rather naturally. It's something that we struggle with. It's something that you accidentally, passively participate in sometimes. But seeking requires intentionality. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Actively desire his kingdom. Seeking isn't some passive idea. We should hunger and thirst for his kingdom and his righteousness. And then what? And then all these things that you are worried about, that we've talked about before, will be, will be given to you as well. If you are seeking his kingdom and his righteousness, there won't be room for worrying. For two reasons. One, you are literally taking the time to seek, and that eats up your time to worry. But the things you are worried about are being given to you by your heavenly father. It's a beautiful plan and promise. It's kind of like God knows exactly what he's doing. Hmm. I cannot help but think of Abraham when we talked about the idea of worry, 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 seek. About six months ago, Pastor Kevin did a sermon series on miracle babies, if you guys remember that. And he talked about Isaac. So I just want to touch like very briefly on the story of Abraham and Isaac. If you want to follow along, you can, but I'm just going to read a few verses from Genesis 22. Genesis 22 starts with sometime later. So I'm going to stop there for a second. Um, this sometime later refers to multiple chapters that cover Abraham and Sarah's life together. Abraham was given a promise very early on in his relationship with God that he was going to be made into a great nation. But Abraham and Sarah's inability to wait on that promise's fulfillment brought worry and fear and sin, not only into their lives, right, but into the lives of those around them. After 25 years of longing to have a baby with his wife, Sarah, they were eventually blessed in God's perfect time with Isaac. So sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. And we can be so familiar with the story that we miss this extraordinary command that God gives Abraham. And I want you to listen again to how he describes Isaac. Just in case Abraham wasn't clear who God wanted him to take, he's like, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Like, I think it's implying there, you know that one that you waited for for 25 years that you really struggled about, that, that I actually named and I gave to you, the only one you, you like really have that's fulfilling this, that one, take Isaac and go sacrifice him. 
And the next part of the story is just my favorite in all of the Abraham story. So God gives Abraham this intense command, right? In verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he'd cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. When does Abraham get up? Early the next morning. No longer do we see Abraham that is kind of sort of doing what God is asking. No longer do we see Abraham that is trying to make God's promises happen in his own way. No longer do we see someone worrying and worrying and worrying. We see an Abraham that is serving the Lord with prompt obedience, without hesitation, without question. We see someone that is seeking Yahweh. Not worrying, but seeking. We're told, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. They certainly were given to Abraham. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. After Jesus had laid out this beautiful, logical argument, he tells us one more time not to worry, just in case we're still struggling with that idea. Don't worry. Don't worry about tomorrow, he says. We need to focus on the here and now and not be looking off to the future. Don't even worry about tomorrow. I'll give you what you need for today. I want to make one thing clear so no one leaves with the wrong idea here. God will not give us anything we want, but he will take care of our needs in his perfect time. So today, right now, are you worrying or are you seeking? The chorus to the song that we're singing this week for the first time encapsulates verse 33, the heart of our lesson today so well. I will seek and thirst for your kingdom, O God, your righteousness. Put you first because I know your worth, every need you'll provide when the first things first. The song we're singing is entitled First Things First. My message is entitled First Things First, and those words have been burning in my heart lately, First Things First. So moms, today my message for you is simple, First Things First. God knows our needs as a person and as mothers from the most basic to the most complex. He's got it covered. Worrying about those needs will accomplish nothing fruitful. But if you seek Christ first, your needs will be met in a far deeper and richer way than you could have ever achieved through your own strength. If you could have ever achieved them through your own strength to begin with. And once you're a mother that loves the Lord, seeking first things first, you are able to help meet the greatest need, your child, your children, my children, will ever have. Because just like us, they have a choice to make between serving the world or serving Christ, because nobody can serve two masters. Deuteronomy reminds us to talk about first things first when we sit at home, when we walk along the road, when we lie down, and when we get up. In other words, always let the truth drive everything you do and everything you say. Moms, when we live out the idea of first things first, when it overflows from our very being, it becomes impossible for our kids not to notice. And I promise you there are few things more effective 
and training up a child to love the Lord than a mom and a dad that put first things first. Would you pray with me? Father God, I just pray this morning, um, this is a message <clears throat> that we could all, all live out. But I want to lift up um, our moms here today, whether, um, whether it's moms that have children at home or grown children or, or moms that are spiritual moms to us, Lord. Help us to put first things first, to live it out loudly, Lord. Um, to let us be seeking you first. To let us not have worry get in the way. To be examples to our children, Lord, that they might see Christ through us, Lord. Thank you that you give us everything we need. And when we put you first, all those things that we might have been worrying about, you add to us anyways. Thank you for loving us so perfectly and so well, Lord. Help us to not get in our, our own way, Father God. Help us to be moms that shine your light. I just pray like a special blessing upon our moms today that they would just be moms that honor you. They would be lights in their family, Lord. Thank you for the honor of being a mom. And um, I know that's true for many of the women here, and I thank you for the role um, that you blessed so many women here. And, and I, just, I also am just so thankful for, for the spiritual moms here. I know there are other women here that maybe don't have children, but I've seen them mentor other youth here. And just that role that it doesn't have to be your flesh and blood, Lord, but you have blessed people here. Um, to help grow youth here in, in your truth. You're so good to us, Lord. Help us to put those first things first. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.